Welcome to The Investigation. I'm Kira Phillips with my co-host, senior executive producer Chris Vlasto, and my colleague, senior investigative producer Matt Mosk. All this week, we are bringing you brand new episodes daily as the impact of the special counsel's conclusions ripple through Washington and as calls for the Mueller report's release ramp up. The president says he has no objections to the report being made public, but there are still hurdles. The top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, right now is blocking a measure that would release the full report or call for its release. He says that the attorney general needs to be given the space to decide what should and should not be made public. And today we're joined by a guest who has a pretty unique perspective in this investigation, Mark Corallo. He's the former spokesperson for President Trump's private legal team. And Mark has spent much of his career working in public relations. He was the director of public affairs for the Department of Justice when Robert Mueller was the director of the FBI. And then during the investigation into Russian interference during the 2016 election, he was actually interviewed by the special counsel's office as well. Mark, thanks for being with us. Great to be with you. All right. Well, the big story, the Mueller probe, it's over. Has justice been served here? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I had said to everybody from the outset, um, you got to trust whatever Bob Mueller comes up with. Everybody knows, you know, that I hold Bob Mueller in high esteem. Uh, I worked with him. I think he's probably one of the most honest guys I've ever met. Uh, and, you know, one of the few true public servants I've ever known. So, you know, he's done his job as I knew he would thoroughly, completely. He followed every fact. And he came up with the conclusions that I, I think that a lot of us expected, that there wasn't going to be any finding of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. And, uh, you know, that it just took a long time. But that's because he's thorough. And it's because people definitely, I'm sure, resisted talking to him. And I'm sure there were plenty of people who, who as we've seen, didn't tell the truth. You didn't resist talking to him? No, I never would. Um, you know, I, I had nothing to hide. Um, I knew that uh, the kind of operation that Bob Mueller runs is not about trapping people. It's not about setting up perjury traps or trying to get somebody. He wants to know the facts. He wants to get the bot to the bottom of the uh, of the story, and, and he does. And so I knew when I went in, I had nothing to uh, to worry about. What did he ask you? He asked me about my time uh, working on the president's legal team. He asked me specifically about, or I should say, they asked me specifically about. The uh, Air Force One uh, statement, you know, the the statement that was done when the uh, president and his team were coming back from the G20, you know, regarding the Trump Tower meeting during the campaign. And, you know, I just told him about my role. Um, You know, I think they had seen the uh, story in The New York Times um, about my resignation from the legal team. And they just sort of wanted to hear the full explanation as to why I left. You know, there were rumors that I had witnessed obstruction of justice, and I, I wanted to make sure that that was not, um, you know, that that was not the case. And it's not what the New York Times story said. It's not what anything I had ever said. Uh, and it, you know, for there were political types who were reading into it and trying to read between the lines because that was the nature of this whole story. And uh, I was just, you know, fortunate to go in and just be able to answer their questions. But what do you think, uh, this on the obstruction, this whole idea, especially that part you were in, were the Trump people just naive or on that airplane, on the airplane story? I mean, did they – at the end of the day, I think maybe I'm reading into the report where it says they couldn't come to a conclusion on obstruction. Is that because maybe 
Bob Mueller believes these people didn't deliberately do it. And when you say the plane, you're talking about the statement that was reportedly written aboard Air Force One, right, about the now infamous Trump Tower meeting with this Russian lawyer who was promising dirt on Hillary Clinton. I mean, the statement said in the meeting they, quote, primarily discussed a program about the adoption of Russian children. So we were cut out of that whole process. So we we knew that uh, there were reporters in town who had some inkling of this story about the Trump Tower meeting with Don Jr. and Jared and Manafort, et cetera. And, you know, we, we had our opinions on how it should be handled. Uh, we never saw the documents. I, 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 the lawyers may have seen the documents. I never saw the, you know, the infamous uh, Donald Trump Jr. emails. To this day, I've never seen the actual emails. I've seen copies of them, you know, that were reprinted. Um, and so I didn't know exactly what was in them. I knew that they had to do something with a meeting with Russians who represented themselves as being uh, representatives of the Russian government and who had dirt on Hillary Clinton. So that's what I knew. And when I saw a statement that uh, was, was put out uh, from Air Force One that was, you know, at best <laughs> inaccurate and, and charitably misleading, I knew that this was problematic. And, and okay, it's about dirt on Hillary Clinton. This is a, it was a campaign. These guys were novices. Yeah, I mean, they were campaign neophytes. They didn't have an oppo research operation. They didn't have, you know, like when I, when I was uh, at the RNC during the 2000 campaign, you know, we had lawyers involved who understood, you know, what the bright lines were. You know, like we would have known if some... Uh, you know, some uh, hostile foreign government approached us with dirt on the uh, on the uh, on the opponent. We'd have called the FBI, but we would have known that they didn't know that. They just thought, "Hey, we're flying great. by the seat of our pants. Cool, we yeah. we need dirt, yeah. right? I mean, great." But Free that was a bad research. fact for them, right. right? I mean, that was a bad fact for them in yeah, that it was, moment. It was a bad fact for them in the moment. It it you know when you're saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, and then this pops up. It is absolutely legitimate for the public to say, well, that looks like collusion, right? But it actually had an explanation. I think the public would have read into it that there might have been obstruction. I think that Bob Mueller realized that these were just people who were naive. I think, you know, one of the things I had said to the president when I first met him and and I've I've maintained is that he had a right to feel a little aggrieved. I mean, the the man walked into the office and was immediately under investigation. Um, the way Jim Comey treated him was not the way an FBI director should treat any president of the United States, regardless of how you feel about him or his politics or his bearing. I think you had a White House staff that was on edge. And I think that they also, not being of Washington, not understanding how investigations work, I think they, they believed that you can say anything to the press – Right? You can lie to the press. It's no big deal. We just get our message out. There's no big deal there, right? They can't put you in jail for lying to the press. And, you know, my feeling was that the press has a special role in our constitutional republic. I think that when you treat members of the media as if they are the enemy, uh, you're making a big mistake. You, you can absolutely have an understanding that, you, that, that the media has their own biases. We're all human. We all have our own biases. I think, you know, there's plenty of reporters who have brought those biases into their reporting. But regardless, 
you don't lie to the press because when you're lying to the press, you're lying to the people. You're lying to the people who pay your salary. If you are a White House employee on the on the staff of the President of the United States, you work for me, the taxpayer. And was that a culture that you witnessed? Was that something you that concerned you? Yeah, I was. That was my biggest concern. My concern was their attitude. It was reckless. My concern was that they were really reckless. It was that they they you know they they were coming off a campaign. Uh, that that I think none of them expected to win. I think they felt that everybody was against them. I'll yell my lies and they'll yell their lies and whatever. And that made me very nervous that, you know, that this was, at, you know, you, you had two investigations going on. You had a counterintelligence investigation, which can be very wide ranging because the rules are different. And you had a criminal investigation, a federal criminal investigation. And everybody that was talking about this investigation in the White House were making themselves witnesses. And I would look at these young kids and I would think, and the other White House staff, and I would think, every time somebody wants to engage you on this, you should put your hands over your ears and say, I, I'm not getting involved. That's not my job. So I want to ask you, because you've now uh, suggested that the Trump uh, White House has some naivete, maybe some recklessness, especially with the facts. Are they out of legal trouble now? I mean, from my opinion, they are. Yeah, I think they're out of legal trouble. Um, you know, I, I think that, again, Bob Mueller is not going to pull punches. Yeah, but why do you think Bob Mueller punted in making the decision on the obstruction part? He's clear on the, on the, on the, on the collusion, crystal clear. But then you look at the obstruction, and why did he say we couldn't come to a determination whether to prosecute or exonerate? I think it came down to hard evidence. I think that he actually, and again, again I shouldn't be getting in the, in the mind of Bob Mueller and his team, but I would like to believe that they, they looked at the facts and said, well, these people didn't even know how to obstruct. I think they were just trying to avoid embarrassment. Kill a news story. Kill a news story. Right. We can kill this in one day. It's going to be a one-day story, and you know, which led to me laughing at people thinking, yeah, sure. That's did the attacks story. on, on yeah. the FBI and the Justice Department and the Mueller team, did that bother you when you saw that as a tactic or as a strategy? Well, that so, I mean, the yeah, I, I, I was always against it. You can complain and criticize uh, about tactics, right? But until somebody shows themselves to be, you know, unworthy of your trust, uh, to have a you know to, to have a lack of integrity um, you ought to keep the gloves off right enough and you know one of my one of my uh, conditions for taking that job was that I would never have anything to do with uh, any attempts to attack Bob Mueller's integrity um, personal or professional is that why you left uh, that was my ultimate reason for leaving so this you know it was a, it was a pretty short space of time when this Air Force One thing happened, that really got me nervous just at the way they approached it, that this is not the way the, that, that the president of the United States and his team should treat the, the American people. Do you respect Donald Trump? You know, I have mixed feelings about the president. I, you know, you, policy-wise, there are things that I, uh, that I love that he's done. There's things that I can't stand that he's done. There are things that he says – um, you know, whether he's cozying up to Putin or uh, Kim Jong-un, I mean, you should never put the prestige of the United States and the integrity of the United States uh, at risk with these, these international thugs.
I think the president loves his country. I think he loves America and he wants to do really good things for it. I don't think he really understands America. I think that the president, uh, like other members of his family and a lot of the people around him, see America in terms of dollars and cents. We're not an economy. We're not just an economy. We're a nation. Which brings up a kind of a separate subject. Your name is is in a new book that's come out by Vicki Ward. She was a guest on this podcast. And as we said, that, that book paints a very unflattering portrait of Jared and Ivanka. Talk about transactional people. Oh. And, and, and so, I mean, and you really went up against Jared. So, I mean, uh, I guess when I was still in Jared's good graces, um, Ryan's Priebus and Steve Bannon and others in the White House had, had been asking me to become the new communications director and spokesman for the White House. And uh, I turned them down because I kept my promise to my family that I was never going to go back into government again. That was that. Uh, and they kind of kept beating on me and beating on me day after day. And I just kept saying no. And it became sort of an inside joke. One day um, I was in uh, Reince Priebus's office with Reince and Steve, and they were asking me about other potential candidates for the communications director job. And I was sort of just giving my offhanded opinions of this person, that person, and whoever else. And, and Jared walked in and um, I said, hey, you know, what are you guys talking about? And, and Steve said, oh, well, you know, we're getting Mark's opinion on this person, that person as a communications director job. And, and Jared very nicely said, well, you know, if Mark would just relent and say yes, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I just said, well, you know, Jared, I'm flattered as usual. You know, I just but as you know, I've promised that I'm not. I promised my wife and my family I'm never doing this again, so I really appreciate it, but no thanks. And he said, don't you want to serve your country? Um, to a military man. I think with a smile on my face and very calmly just said to him, young man, my three years at the butt end of an M16, check that block. And, um, you know, I, I think that it, it just showed a total lack of awareness. So how much power does Jared and Ivanka have? I think they have an inordinate amount of influence. I think that, that look, is that I'll, dangerous? Let me put it this way. Is that smart? No, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's un-American in some ways. Look, I, why? Why because, is it un Because I think I had nothing against Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. They were, you know, lovely people, all of that. The, the, what, what bothers me is that we should try to be consistent. If Hillary Clinton had won the election and installed Chelsea as one of her senior advisors, every Republican in town would be screaming bloody murder. Nepotism, nepotism. You're just building a resume. If I'm the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, former chief executive officer and chairman of ExxonMobil, and I have to answer to a 35-year-old with no foreign policy with no foreign policy experience but on middle east on the middle east peace process i mean you, you shouldn't bring your family into the white house you said un-american though that's a pretty um substantial yeah because i think that that we don't create royal families we don't do dynasties you don't think there's another act in there do you i mean i've been saying that with the end of Mueller, that the next chapter and the next problem for donald trump could be these other investigations including did you, I mean, going back to the Vicki Ward book, she makes allegations in that book that Jared Kushner was using the White House to help his own business dealings of 666 Fifth Avenue. That's not part of Bob Mueller's purview. That needs to be investigated, I would think. Yeah, I mean, and, and I would think that if if there's if there's a hint of evidence that whoever the um, appropriate, you know, 
authorized U.S. attorney, um, you know, uh, with jurisdiction will investigate it. And, and it should be. I mean, I don't think that we should ever have um, anyone using their, their position at the White House, in Congress, um, at any of the agencies to enrich themselves. Bill Barr's letter did say that Bob Mueller had referred several matters to other offices for further investigation. If Bob Mueller saw something he thought was potentially criminal activity, how would he handle that, do you think? Uh, exactly the way he said he did. He would refer it to the appropriate U.S. attorney. I said there was one foot fault that I thought Bob had, and that was the Manafort prosecution. I think he should have just dished that off to the appropriate U.S. attorneys. I think he shouldn't have done it in-house. Um, his mandate was to investigate potential collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign, um, and he should have stuck to that. And you know, when you look at, for instance, the Michael Cohen um, uh, prosecution, that's exactly what he did. He said, okay, well, I'm not touching this one. Um, this is outside my purview. I'm going to give it to the appropriate authorities in New York. The you president even now asked recently what he thought of Bob Mueller, and he said he acted honorably. Oh, <laughs> after, honorable after ripping him apart. In, <laughs> the, yes, exactly. And right. how many tweets over the past uh, two years? I mean, the first time I met the president, I, you know, he asked me about Bob Mueller. And I said, Mr. President, you know, I'm not a big fan of, of uh, special counsels. Matter of fact, I really can't stand them. Um, but if you had to get one, you drew the right one. If you get a clean bill of health from Bob Mueller, that's the gold standard. You so what's going to happen with the House Democrats? Imagine for us what that looks like if they call Bob Mueller to testify before them. How will he handle that? What will that look like? Uh, he will be respectful. He will answer their questions. Uh, he will keep his remarks based to facts. And it will be frustrating for Congress. Uh, and Democrats will do exactly what Republicans would have done in the same situation. They'll overplay their hand. Um, you know, I, I, when I got my letter from uh, Chairman Nadler, um, you know, my, my, my brother uh, calls me because he'd seen my name in the paper. And, and he started ranting and raving, yeah, this is garbage. You know, what are you doing? Are these guys, these Democrats. And I said, hey, hey, if, it, if I was there, we'd be doing the same thing. You know, this is politics. The reason why they're uh, sending you a letter, the Democrats, not just about the the Air Force One meeting, but I think you had another conversation, right, with the president, yeah, and and Hope Hicks, correct. And I think there's some disagreement there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can you walk me through that? Sure. Mark? So uh, on that evening, when uh, I guess it was, I think it was like July 8th or something, um, my phone starts going off the hook because I guess the New York Times is breaking the story, and we didn't even know the New York Times was following the story which is a whole other story at any rate. And then my phone rings and it's, it's Hope Hicks. So she just started laying into me and, and uh, then she admitted that, yes, they had crafted this statement on Air Force One and that they'd handled it. You know, she said, I had the New York Times handled and, and I'm going, you did? You work in the White House. This is a private matter. This is not the president's conduct of his office. This is matters to do with him as a private citizen, really not even him. This is to do with his son, son-in-law, and former campaign director. So, so I just I, I, I listened to her yell, and then I said, well, you know, you've probably made yourself a witness in a federal criminal investigation. Way to go, young lady. The next day I was home, and uh, the phone rings again, and it's the White House, and I pick it up, and it's Hope. And she says, you know, hold for a moment uh, for the president. 
great. Now they're both going to rip into me. So they both start to sort of lay into me and he's laying into me for, for you know, who approved this statement? And I said, Mr. President, please talk to your lawyers about this. Don't talk to me about this. Talk to your lawyers. You know, I was very aware that, that there were no lawyers on that conversation, on the uh, phone. A bedrock principle of our, of our uh, legal system is, is the attorney-client privilege. And I was just very aware that without an attorney on the phone, there was no privilege. Not to mention the fact that there was no executive privilege because I don't work for the White House. So when you talk about recklessness, you're talking about situations like this where they they are creating risk unnecessarily? They're, they are creating risk unnecessarily. The idea that a 20-something press aide would put the President of the United States on the phone to talk about a federal criminal investigation without his attorneys on the phone to protect the privilege, and that the President wasn't aware of it, um, was just astounding to me and terrifying. And I just pointed out that the statement that they put out on Air Force One, or from Air Force One, was inaccurate, that this was not going to go away. And because it was an accurate and it, an inaccurate statement, it was only going to inflame the story over the next few days. And eventually, the New York Times and every other you know media outlet was going to get the truth. And then they were going to look, well, the way they did. And like they were trying the to hide investigation something. blow up after that. Right. That, that was the... The, yeah, the and so I pointed out that that the statement was inaccurate, and that there were documents that I, under, that, I that I understood there were documents that would prove that. Hope Hicks replied to me when I when I said, "Look, there are you know there are documents." She said, "Well, nobody's ever going to see those documents," which you know made my throat dry up immediately. And I was you know, like, and I, and I just at that point I just said, "Mr. President, we can't talk about this anymore. You got to talk to your lawyers." Um. And for me, it was just the fact that she was even, A, that you would say something like that in the presence of the President of the United States, that you would not be aware that that could be construed as obstruction, right? The, the threat to withhold documents, like, what does that mean? There's, no one's ever going to see him? What, are you going to destroy him? She what? showed a complete lack of understanding of the situation. It was in over her head. Right. But, but, but I, it's not criminal, but it goes back to what you were saying before. Right, it's that not. Sometimes it's not, you have to show criminal right. intent. I wasn't really worried as much about the stakes in a criminal investigation, I was more worried about an, a, a potential impeachment down the road. And, you know, that's the kind of thing that definitely goes to, you know, impeachable offenses. If you're going to if you're going to charge uh, impeachable offenses in articles of impeachment, those are the kinds of stories that come up. And this, I assume, came up in your interview with. Yeah, the special oh, absolutely. Counsel. That was, they, they wanted to know and they they uh, I. I they, they asked me, you know, they said, well, you know, Ms. Hicks says that that didn't happen. I, and they asked me how, uh, how sure I was, and I said, 100%. You know, so, I mean, I, I look, this was, I, I, you know, again, I've used the word reckless over and over again. It was reckless. So should we be able to see the entire report? I think we should see the entire report. I think even more importantly, and I had urged this early on, the president should have declassified it or should now declassify everything. We all have a right to know. This is, we've gotten to a point in America where we just sort of knee jerk, oh, well, if the, if the FBI says it's this way, then it must be because they're all great guys. And, you know, and the, if the Justice Department says it's this way, then, well, you know, what would their. Are you talking about the be? source material as well? I'm because talking about. No all White of House would ever want to release well, source material. I mean, I think that we, the people, have a right to know. 
Wow. I think that we're at a point where if we're going to trust our institutions, then the best thing is, right, sunlight. Let's put it all out. Let us judge, right? Are there people in the White House who share your view, do you think, or are you strictly an outsider at this point? Well, I'm an outsider. I mean, I, I know that the folks that were there, some of the folks that were there at the time agreed with me that, yeah, we should just put it all out. I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I think that it would just, that, that it would help. I didn't think that in the end it would help us all. How about pardons? Is Trump going to pardon any of his, of his associates? I mean, I think there's a possibility somebody like a Mike Flynn could get a pardon. Or how about even a Roger Stone? You know, I... Lying about something so, that there was no collusion? Collusion, I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, could be. You know. Right. Um, uh, you know, that's possible. You know, I, I think that uh, that if that you were advising I, the president, you could sell that right now. Um, I don't know enough about the Roger Stone case, but I mean, on, on Mike Flynn, I would I would say, you know, that was a foot fault and a setup. Mike Flynn should never been, <laughs> have gone out on the campaign trail. Right. He never should have been out doing the locker up stuff. I mean, that's sort of unbefitting of a, a lieutenant general. Um, but, but he's a good man and a patriot and, and a combat veteran and a guy who served this country for 30 plus years with everything he had. Hey man, that's a guy who they ought to look at and say, Hey, you know, is is he deserving of a pardon? I think he is. I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you very much, Mark Corolla. Thanks Mark. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to The Investigation. Once again, I'm Kira Phillips with my co-host, Chris Vlasto, and my colleagues, Matt Mosk and John Santucci, joining us now, senior editorial producer. Uh, right off the bat, Mark's conversation, he had no problem calling President Trump and members of his family reckless. And this was a big reason why he wanted to leave. I think he has a lot of uh, credibility because he's got a deep, deep history with the Republican Party in Washington. He's a straight shooter. He's somebody who's been around a long time. Um, But that was striking to hear him say that because I I think generally, what do the numbers show, like 90% of Republicans support the president? Uh, You don't hear that viewpoint expressed very often. Especially from somebody that was so close to the Trump team for a very pivotal point of his presidency. I mean, they were um, actively trying to figure out how to respond to several inquiries. I mean, you all talked about the Air Force One statement, which was a reaction to the first revelations of the infamous Trump Tower Moscow meeting. I just think that for somebody that was in the Oval Office, on conference calls with them, I mean, at one point, as we know, offering this man to eventually maybe become White House communications director, for him to suddenly, as you point out, Matt, say that the key advisors around this president are not serving him well is quite damning. And and, and I think that it really does play into what we're seeing as people come out and exit this White House. I mean, how many books are we up to now and soon coming to a theater near you? Um, that we're hearing similar stories, which are concerning. Well, and he had a big problem with the fact that it's his family members that are his close advisors, Ivanka, Jared, Don Jr. He had no problem coming forward and saying that just isn't, it isn't right. Right. You know, but for me, the most insightful thing out of Mark was this whole idea, I mean, as we sit with this Bill Barr letter and, and the discussion about obstruction of justice and the difficulty that Bob Mueller had in finding whether there was obstruction or whether to exonerate the president on that issue. 
when Mark Corallo details his conversations uh, with uh, the, uh, from Air Force One and with the president and Hope Hicks, you can see those situations in two different ways. It brought insight to me of why Bob Mueller must have had a difficult time making a conclusion. I think you're exactly right. And I think what what gives him so much credibility is that he is not a sycophant to the president. He's not somebody who feels like he has to score points or or get close to the to the Trump world. And yet, just like Preet Bharara in New York, you know, they look at what what the facts are and they say, you know, Mueller did the best he could with with what he had, and and we should be satisfied that he did a good job. He didn't just say that; he really praised Bob Mueller. But he knew him, no, and you know he worked with him as as, as I think we said right after nine eleven. Most people in America never knew who Bob Mueller was, and he was the FBI director in the most important time in American history, and that says a lot about him. And the people who worked for him, like Mark Carallo. Mm-hmm. Really adored him. Yeah, revere him. Well, can I just go back, though, for a second, though, because we were talking about Corral's observations of the Trump world. And I do just think we can't forget that, remember around the time that Corallo exited, we actually did see, if you could argue it this way, a little bit of an evolution of the Trump world, right? Because you had Mark Kasowitz, who was Donald Trump's longtime lawyer, didn't really know a lick about how to do things in Washington, sort of exit. We saw this new legal team come in with Dowd and Sekulow and Ty Cobb. We also saw a change in the White House at that point. Remember, the week Corallo left, shortly thereafter, we saw the shakeups with Reince Priebus leaving, and we saw a new chief of staff coming in. So I think Corallo's point, we shouldn't get lost, that this was a very JV team at one point. Not that it suddenly became, you know, if you're looking at your bracket, Duke, but it became a better operation, a little more of a controlled operation. Still not a successful operation because, let's face it, every every second there have been consistent missteps. But, you know, the one thing he did tell you all in your interview is that he believes from his perspective that the Trump world is out of legal trouble at this point, which is a pretty big statement. You can knock them, but nevertheless, you can admit job well done. He also said, though, he believes we should all see the report. He was all about declassifying and putting it out there for the American people to see. He also shows, I said it just before, shows the danger of putting out the information because, as I said, I could see it as obstruction of justice Mm -hmm. and that it should be criminally prosecuted, or you can make the argument that there's no obstruction at all. So where are we at at the end of the day? It's going to be a food fight on Capitol Hill, and the Dems are going to see it one way, and the Republicans are going to see but it But I the do other. think if the one thing that I am, you know, we're all curious to see the full report, let's face it, it'll just tell us a lot of what happened here. But I think just as we try to understand the psyche of Bob Mueller and how he went about doing things with his team, the fact that it was Corallo's story that he says was first told in the Times accurately, that that was the red flag to Bob Mueller, hey, we should call this guy in. He should come in and meet with us and tell his story. It really goes to the fact that Bob Mueller was looking at everything over the course of 22 months. This was not just, you know, him listening or just, you know, taking one little thread. I mean, if he saw something interesting over the course of it, he looked into it, which is why I think when we see all the big numbers at the end, the 2,800 subpoenas, 500 people interviewed, you can sort of understand it. And that is a problem, I think, with the fact that we have not seen the full report is that what's lost is 
the scope and depth of this investigation. We, we saw the numbers. We know how long it went on. But to see the detail of every lead they ran down and every issue that they were able to find, I think, is important just to settle the matter. And I agree with you, Chris. I think it won't settle the matter for people on the on on you know on on the one side or on the other side. But I think for right-minded people, fair-minded people will look at it, and I think it should settle it. Don't I we? do. I do think though that that we'll be surprised at how much we we already knew. Yeah, but uh, us, you know, that, we, us, no, no, we, we as reporters, us. I think, especially even on the obstruction of justice. I hope issue. you're right about that. Well, that's about all the time we have for today. But I do want to add just a few things about our discussion with Mark. A lawyer representing Hope Hicks has said that Mark's account of their phone conversations is inaccurate and also said in a statement the idea that Hope Hicks ever suggested that emails or other documents would be concealed or destroyed is completely false. And secondly, we mentioned Vicki Ward's book, Kushner, Inc. You might remember Ward and her book from one of our earlier episodes. And you might also remember that a spokesperson for Ivanka and Jared's attorney, Abby Lowell, called Kushner, Inc. a book of fiction and said correcting everything wrong would take too long and be pointless. The White House also calling it fiction. Well, thanks for joining us on the investigation. And don't forget that we'll be back again tomorrow and every day this week with brand new interviews, breaking down the headlines for you. And please be sure to hit subscribe and leave us a rating. And thanks to our producers, Caitlin Fulmer, Eric Malo, and Shannon Crawford. And for my colleagues, Chris Blasto, Matt Mosk, and John Santucci, we will see you back here tomorrow for another episode of The Investigation. 